Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 97th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is cybersecurity, getting to good for the small law firm. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. Our guest today is Kellen Parks, who is a managing member of Parks Ziegler PLLC in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is a paperless, technology-driven law practice. Kellen frequently writes and speaks about the modernization and use of technology in the practice of law, including such topics as ethics, electronically stored information, cybersecurity, and practice management slash marketing. While his firm handles a wide variety of legal matters, Kellen focuses his practice on credit reporting, civil litigation, and is soon launching a cybersecurity practice area. Thanks for joining us today, Kellen. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Kellum, tell us about your law firm, the number of lawyers, the practice areas, uh, and as an expansion, and I know I'm asking for a mega answer, how did you get to this place? So we currently have six attorneys and nine staff. Uh, we have a wide variety of practice areas. We do everything from family law, which includes high-end divorces. We also have a concentration of military family law matters, uh, we, which we just wrote a book about. We do civil litigation as well, everything from medical malpractice, personal injury, defamation, those sorts of things, business litigation. We do some transactional work, such as business formation and commercial lending. And I'll round that out by saying that I'm trying to start a cybersecurity practice area uh, because I've written and lectured on it for years, and it makes sense to dive into that area as a growing practice area in today's legal market. Uh, as to how we got here, I actually left the local firm uh, and founded this practice in 2012 as a solo. I had the good fortune to have my sister as my office manager from the get-go. Uh, I've added some staff and an associate attorney along the way, and then my current co-owner, Brandon Ziegler, joined me in 2015 uh, Brandon and I had practiced together for many years at two different law firms, uh, and he was looking to leave, um, potentially start his own firm. And after we discussed it, it made sense for him coming on board. And I'm happy to say that we've exploded since, and we're still growing. Uh, even today, we're looking for another attorney and some more staff as we speak. Well, that's wonderful news. And, and as a follow-up question, can you define um, cybersecurity practice? Are you going to be a, a data breach lawyer, a privacy lawyer? How exactly are you going to move into that area? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so what I envision, <laughs> so what I envision uh, is really is consulting and legal work, uh, meaning that sort of this the smart businesses will hopefully hire me to help uh, consult and put them in touch with cybersecurity uh, from the technology side, do the analysis, come up with response plans, um, and then. If there is an incident, then they have me ready to go to talk about uh, breach notification letters. And, and in the event that they get sued, obviously, we can get into the 
litigation part of that as well, based on our experience and uh, what I've done for almost 20 years of practicing law now. Oh, fascinating. Thank you. Well, Callum, I know I know you're pretty tech savvy, and you know we've lectured together before and all that. But but how did you get to be so tech savvy relative to to your peers? So I've always been a tech guy. Um, I like to joke that I would have been so much cooler as a kid uh, if I were a kid now, back in the '80s when I actually got into computers. Uh, it wasn't nearly as cool then. <laughs> and I've always enjoyed tinkering, sort of my personal life with technology. And although I enjoyed working at my previous law firm, uh, I looked at how we did things there. There were 30 attorneys and about 70 staff, so almost 100 people, about 100 people. And basically, you know, it, with, with a law firm of that size, it's uh, very difficult to turn quickly uh, and use modern technologies efficiently. So I wanted to integrate modern technologies, and so I set out to learn everything I could about technology in the, in the legal space, uh, and I'm still at it. Um, I spent a lot of my time running the firm from the management point of view, and that includes finding new technologies and integrating them, what makes best sense for what we do and how we do it. Admit it, Kellum, you just like to play with those cool toys. Well, that is too, and then the firm can pay for them now, so that's fantastic. I've seen your office. <laughs> well, photos of your office. And, photos, yeah. And, and, and it's very cool and very high-tech, which I love, and I love the Stormtrooper. Not everybody has a Stormtrooper in their office. No, absolutely. Look, you, if, if I'm going to be here as long as I'm here, I need to make it homey. That's right, exactly. So when and how did you come to the realization that cybersecurity was essential for your law firm? So before I started my firm, because uh, I'd never owned a business before, I've been practicing law in private firms since I started, but I dove into our attorney ethical rules. So I practiced law in Virginia, and I looked at our ethical rules to ensure that I had a firm grasp on all the aspects of our duties. So, and, and having done that, I immediately realized that if I was going to be uh, what I hope to be and what I am to a large degree is a paperless digital law firm, and if I wanted to utilize these modern technologies I've talked about, that I had to pay particular attention to safeguarding uh, our clients' information. Uh, so this led me to explore the area of cybersecurity to meet what duties I have. And, and it's an ever one of the reasons I want to go into it as a practice area is it's only going to grow and, and the challenges only increase with new technologies as they come out uh, and sort of the adjusting ethical duties for same. Great. Well, I know if the whole world of cybersecurity. I have to ask you this question, though. Do you, do you have an incident response plan? And, and if you do, tell us how you went about preparing it and kind of what's the scope? What does it cover? Sure. So we're actually in the process of putting together a more comprehensive response plan. Uh, but what we have currently uh, is I've created an outline for both a data breach avoidance plan, uh, in essence, as well as a response plan, because obviously the best policy does minimize the chance of a breach. So for the data breach avoidance outline, I cover an inventory of what data we collect and then what duties we have to safeguard the data. So we categorize the information based on its sensitivity and severity of legal impact in case of a breach. And then we go about and we implement administrative, electronic, and physical data security guards. And this, of course, includes training for our staff uh, which is actually one of the more important things that we do. As to our response plan, we put into place who is responsible for what. And as a technology leader of the firm, I'm in charge uh, uh, sort of at the top of all of this. We have our third-party IT professional looped in. I'm fortunate that I have a, uh, a very good uh, IT person that I happen to be friends with and, is, and helped us since day one of my law firm. And then I have a list of outside vendors that need to be consulted. In a non-shameless plug, for instance, if we have a serious breach, 
we'd be looping in uh, your company, Sensei Enterprises, as a forensics expert because obviously my IT guy is great and he knows a lot, but he doesn't have the 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 level expertise that a, a forensics uh, firm such as yourself would have. I think we owe him dinner, John. Uh, dinner and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> And drinks. Okay. <laughs> that, thank you for the kind words, Caleb. Um, it, uh, well, you know, it's very true. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm interested in cyber insurance, as you know. That's something that has come about recently as a big topic and a hot one. I know you have cyber insurance. Can you tell us a little about your cyber insurance, what it covers, and anything else about that subject that you think might interest our listeners from a small firm perspective? Sure. So we do have some cyber insurance in place, uh, though I'm in the process currently of evaluating options to um, pretty substantially upgrade uh, what we've got. Uh, What we have is some limited coverage through our existing legal malpractice policy. Also, our general liability policy has some coverage as well to sort of put on top of that and supplement what we already have. But as we've grown, our needs have also grown. Um, And a separate cybersecurity policy is essential, I think at least, um, for any law firm to ensure that you have the correct coverage to include both uh, third-party and first-party coverage. So, for instance, if there's a breach of our system, most policies will cover that. But if you have a third-party breach of so another entity is where your data is housed is breached, well, you have a problem with that. So definitions, you know, from a legal perspective, definitions are everything when you talk about insurance policies. And that's triply so, I would say, in, in the area of cyber insurance, which is a lot newer, a lot less established. Um, usually in the insurance world, there's been litigation over many years to sort of define. Um, and for insurance, honestly, for insurance companies to figure out uh, risk and cost. Um, and all this is so brand new that it's really difficult to sort of uh, pen that out. So we're looking at all of those sorts of things. I'll say that, uh, Sharon, you actually introduced me to Judy Selby, um, who's a Virginia-based cyber insurance expert. Uh, and she's written, uh, literally written the, a book on it. She's handled insurance matters uh, throughout her career, and I've looked at her materials, and that's been just a great help um, as we navigate sort of what our options are. Well, glad that was useful for you. Very much so. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today our topic is cybersecurity, getting to good for the small law firm. Our guest today is Kellen Parks, who is a managing member of Park Ziegler PLLC in Virginia Beach, which is a paperless, technology-driven law practice. So, Kellum, do you have encryption available for use? And if so, what kind? Sure. So we have encryption of sorts. Uh, we can password protect our documents if we're using a Word document or a PDF, of course, which is a, a form of encryption, certainly as you know. Uh, we also have an encrypted form of communication through our practice management system, Clio, if we have that need. Uh, we don't use a third-party solution like Mimecast or Edgewave 
which is uh, has the cloud-based uh, portals, sort of that extra layer. We haven't found the need for that uh, yet because most of the sensitive data that we use are social security numbers or account numbers, and those are easily enough password protected. So what about backup systems, Kellum? What do you have? I'm, I know you have something since you're technology-driven, but um, what do you have, and is it engineered such that it would uh, protect you from, from ransomware? What we do is we keep all of our firm data on the cloud. Uh, we use, we're a Microsoft-based uh, firm, so we have Microsoft SharePoint as, as our repository for all of our digital files, and that product has synced backups, uh, different geolocations backed up within that platform. Uh, we also keep some information, primarily some client information, on the Clio system, which is another, which is also in the cloud, um, and that's also backed up through their system. We have the option to escrow through a third party, which we've elected not to do, because we don't keep all of the data on Clio. Basically, all the data that we have on Clio is simply a copy of what we have in our own system that we've shared with the client. Uh, we also keep a, if we have archived clients, so if we have a closed client file, we actually bring that off the cloud and keep that in-house as well as our accounting information. And the way we have our system set up right now is we have a sort of a hybrid where everything's on the cloud, but we can also, uh, we have local copies of active files that we're working on. And we back up all of our local data on portable hard drives. So we have a portable hard drive plugged in. Every 12 hours, we cycle in a different uh, drive. And then we have a third drive that I rotate in every week that I keep at my house. And that way, the two non-plugged-in drives are kept off-site. If our building were to burn down, we have 12-hour-old information. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to avoid ransomware issues because if they've locked down our entire server or if they've locked down a, a particular cloud-based, we have backups on the cloud, which I don't think that would be vulnerable. But in, in any event, I have a local copy on a separate hard drive. Well, it sounds like you've engineered that pretty well. I know another thing that you've engineered pretty well is you've made sure that you have a client portal via Clio. A lot of folks are interested in smaller firms and getting a client portal, but they're a little confused about it. They really don't understand what it is and what it does. So perhaps you could describe some of the basic features, costs, security, et cetera. Sure. So when I started this firm in 2012, there really weren't that many cloud-based practice management solutions out there uh, of any sophistication. Six years later, I think last count, there were over 85 that have, of some sort. Uh, so your choices really are, have exponentially grown uh, in, in recent history. So one of the things that I wanted to do right out of the gate is I wanted my clients to be able to access their data 24-7. Um, I want it to be as convenient as possible for my clients, and especially because we represent a lot of military members. Uh, a lot of times they're on the ship or they're deployed, and their hours, they may be in a different time zone. So it really was important for me, um, if I'm going to go digital, uh, to have that access. Clio had that built in in 2012, which was great. And what it does is when you open a file, each client has their own login and password. And once they log in, we're able to, in essence, upload files that they are able to see and they stay there for as long as the matter is open. It also allows that secure communication that we talked about. We share invoices with the clients through this portal as well. So they get an email from Clio saying, uh, so we'll upload a document. For instance, we hit a share button they get an email that says, hey, you have a new document or you have an invoice. They can then log in and they can look at it, download it. It stays there if they need to download it again. 
And so a lot of the different practice uh, management uh, systems now have that ability, and I think it's vital. Uh, as far as cost, and I'm always evaluating, I will say I'm always evaluating. We like Clio. There's challenges as we grow and we have different needs. Uh, we're always evaluating new options. Obviously, the more invested we are and the more time we have and the harder it will be to switch. Uh, and it's not cheap. Um, Clio, uh, as we're sitting here today in November of 2018, they have three tiers. They say the start, boutique, and elite. Uh, we need boutique, which is in the middle based on the features, and it's $59 a month per person, per seat at the firm. If you pay it annually, $69 a month. If not, uh, and we have 15 people, so that adds up pretty quickly. Yeah, that's one thing I think a, a lot of people don't don't realize, Kellum, is they need to do the math. <laughs> uh, always going to the cloud isn't certainly, you know, always the cheaper solution, but certainly cost-effective in a large number of times. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, when I started as a solo, <laughs> much different cost structure than 15 people. Yeah, it, it's amazing yep. how that yep. works. <laughs> <laughs> it adds up quickly, as you said. Well, tell our listeners a little bit more about the any other cloud services that, that you use and, and how you go about doing due diligence uh, on those services. Sure. So primarily, um, as I mentioned before, we use SharePoint for our physical repository of documents, um, physical meaning digital. That's where we host the digital documents. And then Clio we use uh, really to communicate with the client. So those are our copies. Um, so those are our two main cloud systems that we utilize that really takes care of everything we need uh, from the cloud side. And before committing to them, uh, I basically slog through their terms of service, which obviously takes some time to get through. And I determined that they complied with our ethical duties and how we operate. So, for instance, for uh, Clio, for instance, basically as some cloud providers are zero-knowledge-based. I think SpiderOak might be one where they encrypt everything on their end. You have the master pass key. Nobody can open it on their end even if they wanted to. So if they got a subpoena from the government, they could turn over all the information. It wouldn't do them any good. Most systems are not that way. Clio is not that way. So we can obviously encrypt if we need to um, going on to the system. But Clio would notify you uh, before they comply. So they'll tell you, hey, we got the subpoena so that you have the option to quash it if that's what you want to do, which was important. Uh, they also have options where I think I indicated earlier that you could escrow the information. So if I wanted our information copied to, say, an Amazon account, or another uh, cloud system that we could do that so that we're not relying on Clio, because if Clio blew up one day, my data is somewhere else. Um, so basically, I just went through step-by-step, step, tried to uh, analyze what they have, how they work, and make sure that it, it handles our needs. Um, and like I said, we don't handle overly sensitive information. We're not representing Edward Snowden or anything on this end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you, would, you would have to have some pretty strong cybersecurity measures there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's two things, Kellum, I, I want to comment on. Number one, I think you're probably the first lawyer I've heard that admitted they read the terms of service. True. <laughs> and, <laughs> True. And, num and number two, uh, you're, you're correct that the, in Clio's, because I read them all, but Clio's terms of service as well as Microsoft's, they both specifically say that they'll notify you and and not turn the data over, you know, so that you have an opportunity to to file that motion to quash. But the majority of, of cloud providers don't have that provision stated in there at all. Right. And that's very concerning. And and 
So, um, yeah, I'm that guy that actually goes to the auto body shop and they say, hey, I'll just sign here. And I'm like, well, no, hold on. I need to read all four pages. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm that guy. Yeah, you're that guy. It drives my wife. <laughs> I'm sure it drives those people nuts, too, on the other side. <laughs> well, t- tell us about some of your other cybersecurity measures that you take at your law firm. You know, the employee training, maybe physical security, anything that you can think of that a small firm should be thinking about. Sure. So I, I think even with one or two employees, I think it's important to have an employee manual. Obviously, if you're a really small firm, you don't need to have a 60-page manual or anything. Um, but from the perspective of cybersecurity, in our employee manual, we have a whole section that talks about what our procedures are, what our policies are. We have periodic reminders of these policies. We update them as necessary. Uh, training is absolutely key uh, for the staff to follow the policies and recognize potential issues. Uh, you know, obviously, in, in today's world, it's phishing through emails or malware. You know, they get attachments, so they know not to click those things. They know not to click links. So it's important for them. And we have the staff now sort of policing other staff. Hey, you should, you know, don't click that. And so they recognize it and bring to people's attention, which is huge. For our systems, we, we use passphrases, so we have long passwords, which is what's recommended nowadays uh, for accessing our systems. Everybody knows if they walk away from their desk, it auto-locks after a certain amount of time, but then it'll lock their, their system. Uh, our physical space is, is locked, and we have keypads that identify the users as they come in and out, so we know, well, in, I guess, so we know that who's in here and when they're in here. Uh, we use Microsoft 365 for our systems. And up until recently, we used Intune to monitor the basic security, but we've upgraded in recent history to the enterprise mobility and security. Two levels, there's E3 and E5. We use the lower level E3. It includes Intune. Um, But what also that does is we added, because Microsoft, as I'm sure you're both aware, is you can get a lot of things a la carte. So we did the E3 level, and then we added their advanced threat protection as as a $2 a month per user add-on. And what that does is it allows us on the administrative side to catch phishing attacks, malware attacks, sensitive information. It's got safe link protection. Um, so people that click without thinking at least <laughs> will catch it hopefully this time. And then we have we have cell phones for attorneys and we have paralegals uh, want to access some information from their cell phones. And we have, we have our own laptops for the attorneys. And so the uh, enterprise mobility security also allows us to device management allows us to uh, lock that down, dual authentication, sort of all the security methodologies, which I think are are vital uh, for any law firm, especially one that is going to be digital in nature. Well, my last question for you, Kellum, is what are your impressions of a solo small firm cybersecurity awareness and preparedness? And I'd be interested to see if your impression is the same as ours. (laughs) So uh, I, I suspect it will be. But, you know, as, as you know, I travel across Virginia and I speak on technology and the practice of law pretty frequently. Um, and that's everywhere from the East Coast all the way out near Roanoke and beyond. And as part of that topic, it's cybersecurity. And I try not to get too technical, as I'm sure you both do, because uh, obviously the, the they're not going to be as uh, aware um, as we are maybe. But unfortunately, I get a lot of blank and sometimes panicked looks when I talk about this topic. I get the sense that solo lawyers and small firms really just aren't up to speed, and they don't know what they don't know. And so they go, oh, well, I have an IT person. Okay, well, <laughs> that's fine. And, and actually, our ethical rules say 
that you can have other people be in charge of this stuff because they, they don't the bar doesn't expect lawyers to be IT experts. I think I think that's smart. But you have to at least know the topics of what you're what's important. So part of what I feel like my mission is on and I sit on a couple of state bar uh committees um and just just honestly I feel like what my mission is since I know this stuff is to educate my fellow lawyers and hopefully get them to be to get up to speed and understand to at least recognize the issues and then take the necessary steps to protect their data because their data is their client's data um and and the ethical rules state you know if you basically take absolutely no steps to protect your client data in the digital world, um, you're going to get in trouble. Well, and that's certainly true. So I I think this has been a very useful exercise for uh, solo small firms to listen to how you got there and you did get to good. In fact, you got to better than good, which is is better still. Um, So I really think that was very helpful for them. I want to thank you for joining us today, Kellum. Kellum is a a good friend and uh, we've enjoyed lecturing with him many times and hope to do so many times in the future. Uh, as you can hear, he knows a lot. For for a practicing lawyer, he knows pretty much as much about legal technology as any other lawyer I've met in, in the state of Virginia. So uh, it's been a real pleasure, Callum. Thanks. I know you have a lot of stuff going. Thanks for taking the time out today. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, guys. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.